Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is our uh, final seminar in the Fearless Future series, and, and you'll know that what we've been trying to do these last uh, five mornings is to, I suppose, identify for uh, for 16 plus, 16, 17, 18 year olds who are probably about to maybe leave school, go to college, go to work, go to university, or do something different in the next year or two of your life. We're we're kind of identified a number of key things that you need to have in place in order to do that really well. And uh, we've looked at that over the last uh, four days. And today, uh, our final one, where it's a kind of let's commission, let's be commissioned to go and live for Jesus in, in whatever it is that we're going to do. It's my pleasure to introduce Dave Smith. Who uh, we can give him a round of applause in a moment. Uh, Dave uh, is a is a member of my church, leads the youth work there. In fact, all his youth are right at the front, um, and he's done a great work among, uh, from particularly related to his school, but other young people that have ended up gathering uh, around him in uh, where we are in Brixton. So, why don't we give Dave a big round of applause? Okay. Cool. Um, good morning. Um, it's great for you to be here. It's quite exciting for me to speak to you. Um, it has been a good week. As you can tell, my voice is quite croaky. Um, and I've been trying to save it for this moment because I really feel I want to talk to you about Jesus and how important he is. But for me, one of the best things about New Day starting is that the planning ends. Are there, are there any youth leaders in here? I wouldn't expect there to be too many. Like, you people are amazing. Because going up planning for New Day is one of the most frustrating things I have ever experienced in my life. Because work with teenagers is a disaster. Okay, so you basically, at Christmas, you decide we're going to go to New Day. And you give them letters in January. And then you give them another letter in February. And then another one in March. And then you collect money in July. That's how it works. I'm, I'm trying to work out how to do it. And it's a nightmare. And last week, there was a boy who texted me. I'm not gonna. Um, I'm not gonna like highlight him because it would be wrong. But Michael Adepoju, <laughs> who's sitting in front of me now, he texted me and he said, "Sir, I don't make them call me sir. I did teach him at school." And he said, "Sir, is an airbed and a sleeping bag the same thing?" <laughs> and and that that that's the standard. That is the standard of the young people that I have brought with me. Yeah, and it reminds me. Last year, um, I went skiing with school. And uh, a parent rang me up and said, I want my kid to go skiing. I was like, great. So what about the polar bears? <laughs> and I had to have this, this conversation on the phone. Actually, it's okay. We're not in Switzerland going to have to get away from the polar bears. Okay? And it's frustrating planning things. It's difficult. And then you get to New Day and God does quality things. And you realize he is bigger and better than anything you could imagine. There's one boy um, who is new to our youth group. I didn't really know him. I found out on the Saturday before New Day that it was coming. Classic. And uh, I rang his mum. Obviously, she didn't know who I was. And I explained who I was. And he came to New Day. And it's been all week him trying to work out what's going on. And yesterday, there was someone praying for him. And I went over. I'm quite protective of my own people. And I went over there. I'm thinking, what are they praying for him for? What are you doing? What are you putting into his head? And I asked him, and they said, oh, he wants to know God. I mean, what do you mean you want to get closer to God? You don't even know him. How can you get closer to someone? Just give your life to him. That's what I'm thinking. So I listen to the prayer, and it's all going well, and that ends. And I just talk to him, and I say, um, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to pray that you're going to get closer to God, because you haven't given your life to God. You're not in. And he said, I'm in. 
That's what he said, I'm in. And I asked him question after question, and every answer that he gave is, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I've seen this young man, who's 17 years old, want to follow Jesus. And that's what this is about, okay? It's not something fluffy. It's not just sandals with socks, okay? It's not just being a nice Christian, okay? It's being a passionate Christian that loves Jesus and actually saying, I want to follow him and I want to give my life to him. And that's what I want to give you a flavor of today. Um, As Owen said, my name is Dave Smith. It's a very hard name to spell. Um, I'm not a pastor. I don't lead a church. I'm a teacher in a secondary school. I live in South London in Brixton, and this seminar stream is about fearless future. Okay, and that is massive. Can you imagine living a life where you were not in fear? Just imagine it. You go home, and you don't give a damn what anyone says to you because you are so secure in who God is. Yeah, that the walls and the barriers that you put around your identity come tumbling down, and suddenly you can live for Jesus. That's what it's about. The Christian life is meant to be exciting. It's meant to be dynamic. I went to Dubai when I was 16. My brother got married in Dubai. It was a bit weird. And I went there, and it was in August, and it was 50 degrees C. I heard a gasp there. It was a gasp, literally. You'd get there, and my only memory was hotels or shopping malls, and you would run. You'd literally, you'd be in a hotel, an aircon. I thank God for aircon. And you'd be in a hotel, and then you'd step out of that hotel, and the aircon has gone. And you would find somewhere else with aircon. And you would just run to get into that other place of aircon. My whole holiday, my whole existence in Dubai was searching for aircon. Okay? And Christians, some Christians say exactly the same thing. All you do in your life is run. You run from this to this. Okay, new day, next new day, church on a Sunday, next church, small group, community group, whatever you want to call them. And actually, you're just surviving. You're living a life of survival. And it's rubbish. It's absolutely rubbish. You are not called to survive. You are called to thrive. Okay, you are called to persevere and push into who God is and to love Jesus and to see the world changed. That's what you're called to do. That is what it's about. And that's why this stream is trying to push into that. You were made in God's image. He planned you before the earth began, before he chucked the stars into space. Okay, he knew about you, every hair on your head. His intention wasn't for you just to exist, to hold on until you get to heaven, to try and hope that you make it in the end. He's given you a life through Jesus that means something, that's for something. It's not about New Day. Okay, it's not about New Day. And I'm quite passionate about this. I love New Day. You're going to hear some stories about it later on. Okay, but your life is not about New Day. Your life is more than an event. You were called to not just believe in Jesus, you were called to live for Jesus, you were called to live through him and for him. And in this short amount of time we've got today, I want to raise your expectations. Let's raise them. Lift your eyes above who you are and lift your eyes onto him. This world is dying, it's hopeless. And I need a generation, we need a generation, God needs a generation that are on fire for Jesus. As I said, I'm a teacher in a city that is rotten. And I go to school and I talk to students who are just in these situations and it breaks your heart. And I talk to parents and we try and strategize and getting people to help. And actually what they need is Jesus. I don't have millions of points for you today. In fact, I just have one. Pursue Jesus. Make that decision to live your life for him. That's what Toppy was talking about yesterday in the evening meeting. It is satisfying and it's better than anything else the world can offer. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to go for it.
Lord God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done this week. I thank you that your love is awesome. And I thank you that you don't just save us from something, but for something. And I pray that every person in this room is going to leave so on fire for you. So convinced that actually I'm going to live in the reality of who God is rather than the reality of what I think my world is. Okay? It's about God. It's not about me. So I ask you, take these words. I pray that you, you, you penetrate them into every heart. And I pray that we know you more and love you more because of it. Amen. Amen. My passage today, I'm going to flit in and out of it. It's from Acts 2, 1 to 4. It's not on the screen because I didn't prepare it. Okay? So... In this passage, it's pretty famous, okay? It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They are the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, closest friends. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Just to clarify here, we are reading at the time that Jesus has already died on the cross, died, risen from again, and he's ascended to heaven. The disciples are living in the reality that Jesus was no longer around. Okay, now that's massive. Can you imagine? You've given up your occupation. You're not. You're not. You're, you're not fishermen anymore. You've left your family. You followed this guy for three years. You suddenly realise he's not a prof, Not just a prophet. He's not just some nice guy that gives you teachings. He's actually the son of God. Then he dies, and then you feel like it's over, and he rises again, and you think this is quality, and now he's actually gone. He's actually gone. That's the reality they're in. But he gave them a command. And he said, do not leave Jerusalem. They were in the city of Jerusalem. And he says, wait for the gift my father has promised. And the disciples weren't stupid enough by this point to ignore a command from Jesus. So they waited in a random room. They called it an upper room of a house. And they experienced the Holy Spirit come upon them in power. Now this changed everything, absolutely everything. They were transformed from shivering wrecks, from men who couldn't even tell people that they believed in Jesus to men who would be willing to die for his name. From men who not long ago shrank back to their jobs as fishermen, to men who would be bold enough to pray for the sick, to stand in front of authorities, to be condemned, abused and mocked for the name of Jesus. They didn't just understand Jesus, they knew Jesus. It wasn't just in their head, he was in their heart. And this was their time, this is pivotal. God was about to change the world, not through the actions of his son, but through the passionate faith of the followers, people just like you and me. That was the plan. It's about the church. The world is going to be utterly transformed because of you and me. That's what you're going home to do. New day is your upper room moment. I'll say it again. New day is your upper room moment. It's that time to get away from your normal environment, from your school, your college, from temptations, maybe from your family. And just like those men over 2,000 years ago, you've seen God this week. You have seen him. You may have felt his presence. You may have given your life to Jesus or recommitted your life to him. You might have spoken in tongues. God might have put desire in your heart that you've never had before. You cannot leave this place and deny that God is real. You just can't. Some of you have tasted it and you want more. We're going to have prayer at the end. At the end of every seminar, they always say, oh, if you want to leave, you can leave. Why would you leave? Why would you leave? Oh, we're just going to ask the almighty God to come and meet with you. If you're not up for it, you can leave. It's ridiculous. Don't leave. Don't leave. Now, they might say leave. They might say you can do this. And obviously you can. Take your pillow and go. Yeah? But don't leave. Meet with God. 
Because he's good and he knows what he's doing. I encourage you to seek him, to get excited about who he is. You can take back what God has done in you into the world that you live so others can truly follow Jesus. When I was 15, I gave my life to him. I grew up in a Christian family. In theory, I prayed the prayer at seven. It didn't really mean anything. I remember more about the hot chocolate than my commitment to Jesus. And uh, I didn't really live for him. Um, And at 15, I went to an event like this. Before New Day existed, there was a time New Day didn't exist. It was called Festival Manchester. And and I was there, and I remember that before the evening meeting, um, I walked around the field with my youth leader. I wasn't the easiest member of the youth. And I remember I asked him every question, classic, like alpha, like, uh, why is there suffering in the world? And why would God do this? And the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and how do I know it hasn't changed? And like, what about all these issues that aren't found in the Bible? Well, how does that even work? And I asked all these questions, and he was talking to me. And to be honest, I already knew the answers. I could articulate what the Bible said. My parents are Christians. I went to church on and off. Yeah, I got it, but I didn't know God. I didn't know him. He wasn't, there was no, no relationship at all. And in that evening meeting, this guy spoke on the stage. And have you ever been at that meeting where you're there and there's thousands of people there and I'm quite near the back because cool people go to the back. And uh, you know like when, when, when you're in the meetings and people stand there and they go, ah! They run to the front with their pillows. I wasn't one of those. Yeah? That wasn't me. And I was standing at the back and, uh, and it's like this guy is literally looking at me and saying, this is it. And my heart is racing and I'm absolutely terrified. Who's ever felt that? Who's ever felt that you're in a meeting it's like, whoa, it's my moment. This is my moment. And you're looking around. I don't know if they know that this guy's actually talking to me. And, uh, and, and I'm there and I'm thinking, this is it. I wanted to know him. I wanted to give my life to him. So um, I got up and I went forward to the front and I prayed a really stupid prayer. Um, who here is in the ministry team? There's a few of you. Ministry team, they wear like the hats. Yeah, like the red hats. and They come and pray for you. I didn't like the ministry team. I really didn't like them. I thought they were really annoying. Because my view of the ministry team is you would go forward and they'd say, do you know who Jesus is? And I'd be like, yes, I do know who Jesus is. And, and, oh, let me explain that there was this guy called Jesus and he died on the cross. I'm thinking, oh, I know he died on the cross. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me something that actually might, might change my life. I feel like I know this. I, I need to meet with God. Don't just tell me about God. And that was my view of them. Ironically, I did become a ministry team hat wearer person later on in life. So I do love you all and I think you're great. But that was my problem. So I went forward and I said, this guy has said that God knows me. And this guy said that God knows every hair on my head and that's pretty crazy. So God, you've got to meet me where I'm at. I don't want some stupid, ridiculous conversation with a guy with a silly hat that don't fit him. They don't actually fit. Um, so I went forward, and a guy with a red hat came up to me. I thought, here we go. And he said, where are you from? I said, London. I could answer that one. And he said, where in London? I said, don't worry, you won't know it. And he said, try me. I said, fine. Sid Cup. That's where I grew up. They cheer, but they don't know me. <laughs> I left years ago. Um, and um, so I'm from Sid Cup, and he said, okay, who are your parents? And I'm looking at him and thinking, you are weird. It's exactly, God, this is what I'm talking about. I want to meet with Jesus, and you want to know, he wants to know who my parents are. I'm not standing there holding my mum's hand, yeah? I don't understand why they need to know who my parents are. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. They've got really unusual names like me, so they're called John and Jill, yeah? (laughs) Um, So I said, I said, their name's John and Jill. And he looked at me and said, you must be David. I was like, okay, I'm listening. Okay, I'm listening. You know my name. 
Yeah, and this guy used to be part of the church. He had left years and years before. I have no, rem- I cannot remember him at all. And he knew the church I was brought up in. He knew my parents. He knew the kind of things I would have gone through, the area that I lived in, the issues that I might have faced. And he didn't just tell you, say, let me tell you about Jesus. He was like, let me bring Jesus into your life. Yeah, and I thought God brought someone to me and answered my silly, stupid prayer. And he met me and I gave my life to Jesus. And I left this changed man. That was my upper room moment. I couldn't deny it. God broke in. I might have been naive. I might have been caught up in sin. I might have gone back home and there were still issues I had to deal with. And to be honest, there's still issues now. Okay? Well, none of us are perfect. But I knew it was time to truly follow Jesus, to make simple steps in my life, to choose daily to follow him, to live according to his plans and promises, to lay down the things that I loved. I went home and I gave up football. I did love football. I had a dream that I was going to be a footballer. I don't think, having met the youth that I now lead, I realised I was never good enough to be a footballer. Yeah? But it was a dream. Yeah? And I was into it and I used to train twice a week and go to matches. And I gave up football, not because football was wrong, but because I couldn't worship football anymore. Because that's what it was. And I wanted to worship God. And I invited all my football mates to my baptism. And they thought I was just crazy. I couldn't cross every T. I couldn't dot every I. I couldn't explain anything. And I bet you can't either. But I could testify that God was real. And I wanted to live for him. And you need to live for him. That's what you're here to do. So I started to read the Bible. The Bible's a great book. It's a great book. You might need some help to get into it, but it's a great book. And there are some things that really spoke to me. One of them was what was spoken about last night. And this guy, Jonathan, and the armor bearer, and how they just did quality things for Jesus. Not Jesus, God, I suppose. And it was like, I actually wanted to live for him. And they, they climbed this, this area. The guy yesterday explained it so much better. But yeah, they, they climbed it, and they met with, they, they, they saw that actually God was going to do something, so they defeated him. It was crazy. What they did was crazy. But you know what? Jonathan had already had his upper room moment. That was not his upper room moment. He knew God. He knew God was real. So by that point, he's like, I'm just going to go up and do this because I know he's real. He wasn't living in the upper room anymore. He was living in the world and he experienced victory by doing it. How about David defeating Goliath? We all know the story. I love it. Not just because he's got my name, but I love it. I convinced someone in my youth years ago that it was called Goliath, not Goliath. It's really fun doing that, and he's said it for years. Um, so, so, so David basically turned up um, with a pat lunch for his brothers. Yeah, like absolute waste man. Yeah, he's literally he's turned up with this pat lunch, and that's all he's got. And he's there, and he's and, he, and he's giving this like lunch to his brothers. I was, what's going on? And they're like, well, they've got this battle going on, but we're not really fighting. You've got a giant down there. If he wins, we lose. We've got to put someone there. And if he wins, they lose. But we've got no one as good as him. So we're standing here every single day thinking, what on earth are we going to do? David's like, I'm having none of this. Yeah? So he grabs some stones and a slingshot. He marches up to the giant, and he says, okay, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. He recognizes it. You've got some weapons on you, mate. There are some things you could do. He says like the javelin is bigger than, bigger than his thigh. Yeah? That's pretty crazy. So actually, you could do me damage. Fair play. Fair play, Goliath. I'm looking up at you. Yeah, you can hurt me. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Actually, I've got God behind me. You don't stand a chance. He doesn't even need a javelin, mate. He created you in the first place. You've got no chance. Literally no chance. And he says, I love it. This day, come on, just looking up at him. I went to the basketball yesterday. Don't see the basketball final. Yeah? Those guys are massive. Yeah? They're boys from my youth. The, the one boy who's uh, quite short. And he was like, oh, I wish I was tall. 
Yeah, and uh, you see Goliath, and he's, he's a giant. And, and David's like, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David stood in front of the biggest enemy that the world could offer and cussed him in the name of God. That's what he did. He absolutely took him to the cleaners. He's like, you've got no chance. You just can't do it. He was having none of it. God is bigger than you. He's better than you. He's stronger than you. You're going to lose. The battles you face as you go home, they are going to lose because God is with you. But you've got to believe it. Live the life believing in the reality of who God is and what he's done. David had had his upper room moment. He had spent years as a shepherd boy, getting to know who God was. He wasn't in the upper room anymore. He was fighting for the name of God. You're going to leave this upper room. Fight for him. I've read these stories over and over, and the Bible speaks of a God who can do anything. As I said, he can chuck the stars into space. He knows every hair on your head. He can split a sea, walk on water, turn water into wine. Okay? He can raise people from the dead. He can even raise himself from the dead. He can take a tiny bit of food and feed the masses when there's more food left over than what he had in the first place. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I believe in a God that does cool things, mighty things, powerful things. We've got to see it. You see, the disciples didn't just stay in the upper room. They met with God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out into the world. They were described as men who turned the world upside down for Jesus. That is amazing. You are men and women who are able to turn the world upside down for Jesus. So look at the situation that you live in, your college, your school, your future university, your community, your estate, your family. God can just go whoop because of you. Yeah, totally changes. You are not meant to leave New Day and spend from September to January thinking, oh, I wish I was in New Day, I wish I was in New Day. And then you get to February, it's like, I can't wait to get to New Day, can't wait to get to New Day. Yeah, please do come back. We need delegates. But it's not about New Day. It's about living for Jesus. This is your upper room moment. Go home and live for him. When I was 17, I was desperate to learn how to hear God's voice. And I would go around uh, um, and spend his time with this guy who would literally walk up and down the pavement and hear God speak to him and talk to utter strangers about how amazing God was. And I was literally, I was the armor bearer in this, yeah? I literally would carry this guy's Bible and just follow him around along a high street. Oh, there's Woolworths and that kind of stuff. And, and I did that, and I would listen to him, and um, he would literally like, go up to someone and say, I feel like God's saying this. And like, wow, that's true. And then I'd pray for him, and someone would cry, and, and they might come to church, and might give life to Jesus. And I'm there thinking, I want to do this. And he kept saying to me, go for it, go for it. So I thought, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And he's having this conversation with this, this woman, and it's going really well. Like, you know when you're in the meetings, and you feel see someone meeting with God, and you think, oh, God's doing something. This was the moment God was doing something. I thought, God's given me a word, and I'm going to go for it first time. Um, so um, I said, I'm really sorry, but I feel like God said something. And she said, oh, what is it? And I said, I feel like God's saying you're a really good mum. And you find it difficult, but you're a really good mum. And she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, I don't have any kids. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, it was terrible. It was terrible. I literally like, you know, like, oh, it was a really good moment. That good moment went. Like, she just walked off. And I, I was left there thinking, what is going on? I wanted the earth to swallow me up. But you know what? I'm delighted. I look back and I'm just trying to step out for Jesus. I'm trying to learn what he's like. And I've got some, some stories of su- some successes to stay later. But I wanted to start with the, that one because I wanted to say, you're going to go home and you're going to seek victory in your life. And there's going to be time when you think, that didn't go too well. Okay, that's okay. That's totally okay. Okay, the disciples went out and tried to heal someone and it didn't work. And like, Jesus, help me. And then Jesus rocks up and does it instead. Yeah, it's okay. But don't let that put a lie into your head that says you can't do it. You're not seeing victory. You can't live for Jesus. Other people can. It's a lie. Pursue him. Love him. I remember being part of a a group in my school and we set up this Christian union and uh, we would um, print off 1,500 leaflets every single week and on a Wednesday morning we'd get there early and hand out these leaflets. The teachers hated us because we just basically ruined our print credit, no paper left in the school, and you turn around in the, after you've given them out, and just the floor was just covered in paper, yeah? And, and we did it every single Wednesday. But I knew on that Wednesday there'd be around 100 teenagers that didn't know Jesus packed into a room hearing about him. I remember taking friends to Alpha courses. I remember praying for them. I remember seeing them come to know who Jesus was. I remember leading a youth cell group. Who is in a youth cell group? Not enough. Yeah? Okay? Churches have cell groups. Some call them community groups or home groups. And I was in this, this group that basically young people gathered once a week. There's about 15 of us. And we'd go into one of our parents' houses and we'd chat and we'd laugh and play games and we'd read the Bible and we'd pray. And I led one of these groups. And it was amazing but terrible at the same time. Okay? Because what I realized really quickly is that I'm not the best singer in the world. And there was no one in the group that could lead in singing. People to play guitars are fantastic. We just didn't have one. And back then, we had something called CDs. Yeah? And so I'd get the CDs, and I'd put it into what we call a CD player. And it would go in, and uh, we'd have it all, and I'd print out words, and we'd hand them out. And uh, you'd press play. And I'd realize a few notes in that I can't hit that note. I can't do it. But I'd also realize that if I don't go for it, no one's going to go for it. No one is going to go for it because I'm the one leading this thing and I'm loving Jesus. So like this like beautiful one I love you comes out. Yeah? And I'm standing there and I'm just thinking, and you know what? I reckon 50% of worship sessions ended in hysterical laughter. Absolute hysterical laughter. And we're laughing and we're joking. But you know what? It was raw. It was real. It was exciting. It was taking little steps for Jesus. I love it. I absolutely love it. I remember going to uni, and um, I lived in uh, Camden in North London. And uh, when I was at uni, there's a famous club called Coco. And uh, there's lots of people queuing outside this, cl- this club. It's at 1 a.m. And me and my mate were there, and we saw this queue, and we were like, let's just tell some people about Jesus. And uh, so we're standing there. We take a step back so they can't throw things too far at us. And, but the best thing about that club is that when someone's in a queue, they can't leave. Because they can't get in yet. But they don't want to leave because they turned up at one in the morning to get into it. Yeah, so I'm standing there and I'm telling them about Jesus. I look back and think, I'm not quite sure whether that was the best thing to do. But I was in love with him. I wanted to learn how to hear him speak to me. I wanted to learn how he had gifted me. I wanted to follow him and, and, and meet with him. I remember being a waiter while I was at uni. And you'd spend about an hour to an hour and a half before the service started polishing cutlery. So I spent an hour polishing spoons with this girl called Emma. And she said to me, 
uh, why are you in London? And I'd, I'd prepare this answer. People ask you all, as a student, people always ask this question, why are you here? And I said, in theory, I'm at uni, but actually, I, t- I came here because I wanted to be involved in a church plant, and I love Jesus. She was like, okay. She'd never heard that answer before. And we spent an hour talking about Jesus. A couple of years later, I hugged her goodbye as she left with her husband, having been baptized, to go and plant a church. Okay? Now, that's what it's about. I was choosing to believe that the God in the Bible was the one I wanted to follow. And if he could do it then, he could do it now. If I was going to live for him, it had to be exciting. It had to be this dynamic life that people's Bible speaks about. Otherwise, I don't want to read it. Not every day is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But living for him, knowing him, changes everything. God is preparing me for what he has in store. And he's preparing you for what he has in store. I constantly needed him. Don't, I'm not saying that this is your upper room and you'll never experience it again. You're constantly needing him. I go in my room and I pray. I gather people that I love and I pray with them. I want them to speak into my life. But then I go out into the world and I see things happen for Jesus. And that's what you're called to do. I became a teacher six years ago um, in Brixton. And uh, my aim was to be a great teacher. I, th- I think I did quite well. Yeah, and, uh, and that was my aim. My aim wasn't really to do much else, but God broke my heart for the generation I had in, in front of me. Being a teenager is tough. It's always tough, yeah? Years of transition. Where do I lie? Where's my identity? What do I do? Parents are driving me insane. I'm meant to honor them. How do I work that out, yeah? Someone's saying, go here. Is uni the right option? What do I do? How about money? I want money. I don't have any money. When I get the money, what do I do with the money? Like, it's just, it never ends, okay? It's really tough. Being a teenager in a city is tough. Being a teenager in inner city is tough. And I was surrounded by young people who just didn't know God, who lived in dark places. That they lived in areas that didn't do them any good, and they were entrenched in it. And then there was me. And it's hilarious, Richly, really, because God's put this thing on my heart to, to break into their lives. And I'm thinking, I haven't got it. I can't do what God has put on my heart for me to do. Just picture the scene. I'm a teacher. I've just trained um, my form group turn up, 30 students, first time, 28 black African boys. I'm a white British man. <laughs> I do often joke with them that my dad's Ghanaian and his name's Kwame who's born on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they believe me. Okay? And I'm there and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, I want you to know Jesus, but I can't even say your names. Yeah, like for me, Raphael is a teenage mutant hero turtle. Yeah, I'm all right with the David and Michaels, but Santana, Prince Will, Elwin, Renady, like I'm struggling with names like this. Yeah, and I'm looking at them and thinking, I don't know what to do. Where's Charles? Give me his thing. This is what my youth wear. He's put it in his sock. That's disgusting. Put your hand up if you know what this does. Okay, not many of you, yeah? I didn't know what this does. Apparently, um, the boys that I taught at school, and I still love now, yeah, this creates what we call waves in your hair. Yeah, and waves is this really, like, amazing thing that, I don't know, girls find attractive, and boys like to celebrate that you've got waves, and it's this natural thing, and your hair grows in a direction. And there's me, like, this white British guy that's just gelling a quiff. Yeah? Which I still think looks better. 
Yeah? And my guys are wearing things like this. I'm trying to work out how do I reach into their lives. Well, that's ruined my hair. I didn't even take it off. <laughs> it was just there. Um, how do I reach these people? The food. Food. Who's heard of yam? Well, you're better than me. Like, as far as I know, yeah, when I grew up, there was apples, pears, bananas. And then they called a banana plantain. Yeah? And actually, then I realized it's not, it's not, or plant, uh, plantain, tain, ain, that kind of stuff, tin. There we go. Tain, plantain. And actually, banana isn't plantain. It's actually completely different fruit or vegetable or whatever it might be. I didn't understand. I didn't know them. And do you know what the world told me? The world told me. And do you know what the church, the global church, told me that they needed a role model who was black African? That's what they need. They need a black African guy that loves Jesus, that knows their culture inside out, that's experienced the things that they've experienced, so that he can stand in front of them and lead them into Jesus. It's a lie. It's a lie. God uses everyone in any situation. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I was a son of God. I knew the Holy Spirit was pulsating through my veins. I knew that the God of the Bible had a plan for me in that school. And I chose to believe in the reality of who God was and what he had done. Not in the situation around me with boys wearing silly things on their heads. Okay, I was living for Jesus. We had a lot of fun. Like lots of trips, hours of Uno. I introduced them to Uno. I'm such a Christian. Um... Table football, we laughed a lot. Every now and again we spoke about Jesus. I introduced them to him. Um, I wanted to see that Jesus was bigger than sex, bigger than drugs, violence, money, ambition, career, family, friends. That Jesus actually offered everything. It's not just about happiness, it's satisfaction and joy. I remember four years ago, five years ago, a while ago, there was this boy a few weeks before New Day and uh, he says to me, Sir, what are you doing in the summer? And the classic things went from head, I'm going away, doing this, doing that. And I said, I'm going to tell him what I'm doing. I'm going to this event called New Day. And he was like, could I come? I was like, oh, okay. So I spoke to my head. She said, yes. Rang his dad. He said, yes. And I brought him with my old church, just one kid. And I was working on a detached work at the time. So I wasn't really with him. And I was sneaking to the meetings. And I would try and find him. And I found him. And it's this, I don't know, 13-year-old boy just, just lapping up what God had for him. And the Spirit was doing something, and the Spirit was doing something in me, and it was breaking my heart more for the people that God had put in front of me. And I'm like, I need to live for Jesus more. These people need Jesus, and I'm going to show them who he is. Um, in the last four years, I suppose, I've brought between 30 and 35 students to New Day, and I've had the absolute privilege of sitting with kids that I love and leading them to Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. To, to, to be able to sit with people that you feel like you know inside out and their lives are messed up and ruined, like all of our lives are messed up and ruined. And suddenly you can tell them about Jesus and it actually makes a difference. There's one boy called Joseph. Um, I love him to bits. And uh, he wanted to speak in tongues. What a crazy desire for a teenager to speak in tongues. And would sit in my form room uh, when everyone else was gone. We'd wax some music on. We'd pray. And I would speak in tongues. That's a weird thing to do with a kid that you teach. And, and I'd be speaking in tongues. And it weren't really happening, but we are enjoying God's presence. And I was like, do you know what? Keep pursuing him. I don't know how long. A few days later, I woke up to a message. I've realized with teenagers, you always wake up to a message because they go to bed late. Yeah? But I woke up to a message. And it was like... I'm speaking in tongues. 
God's meeting with me. I, I can't believe what he's doing. And I'm going to school with a spring in my step because God is changing the lives of the young people around me. Last year, a, a boy got baptized in Brighton. And, uh, yeah. and uh, so I went down to Brighton and um, he's from Congo. And some of his, his, um, his parents were there and some people from his Congolese church. And I went to Brighton. It was like 7 in the morning. And I rocked up, classic, only white guy. There's only about 10 of us. And we stand in a circle on Brighton Beach. And they're all singing and doing I didn't, I didn't know if they were speaking in tongues or speaking their own language. <laughs> I didn't know. And I didn't know what to do either. So I spoke in tongues. And maybe they thought I was just taking the mic and speaking their language. <laughs> but I'm there and we're praising God. I'm like, this is gospel. This is gospel living. I'm not in the upper room anymore. I'm living for Jesus. I'm at Brighton Beach at seven in the morning seeing a kid that I've loved since the age of 11 getting baptized in the sea because I'm living for Jesus. A few months later, I had the absolute privilege of personally baptizing two young men that have fallen in love with who Christ is. And I stand at church on a Sunday and I look around me and, and I see people who have totally been transformed by who God is and they love him and they're not pretending. They're not like, oh, oh the Bible says I'm meant to do this, so I'm just going to do this. It's real. It's amazing. It's what the Bible speaks about. That's the life that you are meant to live. The world throws so much nonsense at you. Live for him. Go into the world and pursue him. Draw a line in the sand. I'm doing this in my life. I'm just not going to do it anymore. My friends don't know I'm a Christian. Tell them. Ask someone who you love and respect who's older than you. How do I tell them? One boy, he's, uh, he's doing well with football. And uh, he went to Spain um, couple of weeks ago and when he went to Spain um, he was like how do I tell them that I'm a Christian how do I get that in and I was like just take your Bible leave it on your bed take your Bible yeah by the end of that week everyone knew he was a Christian people said what's this about and I'd helped him actually when they ask you what this is about tell them tell them what God's done in your life yeah and by the end of that week they all know that he lives for Jesus help one another grow together love others that love Jesus and love people that don't when the disciples left the upper room, they experienced thousands giving their life to Jesus. They witnessed God turn horrendous moments into stories of victory. They saw many healed. Churches just sprang up all over the place. And they constantly sought God. They lived out his promises. These promises are there for you and they're there for me. Trust me. Trust me, the promises are there for you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to tempt you further than you can bear. When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. That when you knock on the door, guess what? He'll answer. Funny that, because he's God and he says he was going to. That we are children of God and actually you can't be separated from his love. They are promises for you. Stop not believing in the promises. Just stop it. Believe in what the Bible says. Don't just hear them. Believe them. Belief turns to action. It turns to actions. Leave New Day, go into the world and see the world changed. Okay, have that mindset, because that's what it's about. Many of you are going to go back into difficult situations. I'm not going to pretend it's easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for the young people that I love. You've got some big decisions to make. Your future, okay, there might be some troubles going on at school, college, struggles in your family. Families are not easy, okay? You might step back into your bedroom and know the temptations that were there before you came here are exactly the same, okay? It's probably going to happen. 
It's tough. Being a Christian is hard. And actually, Jesus is pretty real on this. He says there's two paths. There's a narrow one and a wide one. He says, actually, pretty much everyone's going to go down the wide one because it looks easy. But don't get you anywhere. You're going to die. Yeah? The narrow one looks hard. That leads you to everlasting life. Take the narrow one. Yeah? Take the narrow path, guys. Take it. Because I've witnessed people not take it and their lives are a mess. Or maybe their life's not there anymore. And it's tough. I want to make it really clear, and I really want you to hear this line. Your world hasn't changed since you've been at New Day. Your world hasn't changed. You have changed. I'll say again. Your world hasn't changed. You have changed. Okay? And I have spent years watching a lot of young people give themselves to whatever the world can offer. Fleeting satisfaction. Lust, sex, pornography. Maybe the love of money. Materialism. Just owning stuff. Some of you might just need to give your stuff away. About getting the top grades, and actually by getting the top grades, they're the best. That's their identity. Okay? Celebrating in violence, taking drugs, selling drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. Okay? Don't pursue those things that it gets you nowhere. Okay? Dare to believe that he can use you to change the world you live in. I dare you. Teenagers love a challenge. They love a challenge. If a teenager says, I can't do it, I bet you can't do it, they go and do it. So I'm daring you. Okay, change the world you live in. Dare to believe that he can help you experience victory over your sin. That one day you'll look back and think, I don't actually do that anymore. Dare to believe it. Dare to believe that the God you hear of, the God you've given your life to, the God the Bible speaks about is real and purposeful and is just as good now as he has ever been. Dare to believe it. I'm tired of living in a world where we we act like we're losing when we've actually already won. It's a joke. It's a joke. Through Jesus, we are new creations. We're able to be men and women, boys and girls that have created us. That God has created us. That we're able to live for him and glorify him. And when you go home, throw yourself into your church. Church is big. Okay? Throw yourself into it. Because that's what God has designed it to be. You're part of it, to bless others and they bless you. And God will build you up. If that is a struggle for you, grab someone today and say, I need to work this out with church. If you're not in a church, we will find you a church. Okay? Find people that love Jesus. Spend time with them. Learn to open up your life to God and others can work in you. Pursue him and he'll pursue you. Can other guys come up on the old guitar for me, please? So it's not an old guitar, it's probably quite new. I'll take that back. Um, I do thank God for New Day. I do. Um, I thank God for this event because it's done a lot in my life. It's done a lot in the young people that I love. Um, One of my lines about New Day, if I had to explain it, there's a a bit in the Gospels where um, there's these friends and they've got a friend who cannot walk and they know Jesus is in a room and they know I've got to get my friend to that room. And they pick up their friend and they knock a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down. Yeah, New Day to me is that event. Yeah, I'm going to get you there. Because when you get here and you meet with Jesus, it's amazing. We don't live for New Day, we live for him. Okay, you've got one more meeting tonight, go for it. If God hasn't done everything he needs to do, Go for it. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, go for it. If you need to linger around your youth leader thinking this is awkward, I don't know what to say, then linger. Okay? Spend time with him. Pursue him. Let God do everything that he can do in you.
I wanted to show you today that what God has done in you is not in vain. There is an actual purpose. Uh, one more story, very short. Um, there's a boy um, that I have taught and known since he was 11. Um, he's here. Um, he's wonderful. And I sat in his tent with him this, this week and I said, what do you want God to do? I'm always asking him that question. And in the past, he'd be like, oh, I want to get closer to God. I want to know him and I want to learn how to pray or read my Bible. And he said, I'm here today, this week, and I know I'm a Christian. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and I know that I love God, and I know that he loves me, and I'm totally secure in it. So in theory, I don't need anything. But let me tell you that I want him to do. I want, I want everything he has to offer for me. I want everything. Whatever he's got that he's willing to give them to me, I'm getting it. Yeah? He's not a student I teach anymore. He's, he's, a, he's a brother in Christ. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And that's what the gospel does. It changes. It changes lives. And I wasn't planning to do this. If, I'm not going to dwell on this too much. If there is someone here, you know, you haven't given your life to Jesus. I'm not saying actually you're not living for Jesus. If you actually haven't given your life to Jesus, you can stand now. And I know this is a seminar really for 16 to whoever's that are loving God and whatever. But if there is someone here now and you're thinking, I actually haven't done it. Is anyone here? Do you want to do it? I'm not going to linger the poem. Okay, fine. That means I'm talking to people that love Jesus. Yeah, I'm stirring in your heart. This, this is bigger. This is bigger than what you could ever have imagined. World changers. Your world changers. I can't, like, these guys live on estates, a lot of them estates in, in Brixton and Bermondsey and Kennington and Streatham. You might know that, not know those places. They're not amazing places. I've got two young kids. I wouldn't walk that around some of the areas with my two young kids. I really wouldn't, certainly not at night. That's the areas they live in. I can't break into those areas. They can. They can't rely on me to change their world. God has used me to to show them Jesus and they're going to go and change their world and God is using this event this upper room to go and change the world that you are living in but you've got to do it you've got to live for him so this is a commissioning moment and we're going to sing a song in a bit but um, I, and we're going to pray in a bit but this is a commissioning moment and I really want you to listen to this and I don't want you to stand up if you're not up for it I really don't because I, I love it when teenagers like this is what I'm about um, but if you're here today and you think, regardless of what I'm into, regardless of how long I've been a Christian, regardless of what God has done, um, I'm in. I want to go home and I want to live for him. I want to believe that um, the reality of who God is is something that shapes my life. I might not be able to work out how to all do it now and we will help you and your church will help you and your youth leaders. But you're sitting there and saying, I want to live for Jesus. I don't just want to exist for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. If that is you here, can I ask you to stand? Okay, can you close your eyes? This is a moment. Moments don't last. God lasts. Okay, so this is the moment. Take the moment. I want you very quietly 
or maybe just in your head, to hand your world to Jesus. Hand it. Family, communities, estates, friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, uni applications, grades, schools. Hand your world to Jesus.